Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Church Planner Podcast isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. Hey, Church Planner, this is Huggy Bear. And this is Franken Preacher. <laughs> I love that that's our nicknames. It's so funny to me. Yeah, we, we got a comment. Uh, was it this week, Pete? It was actually on December 29th, but I, for whatever reason, I didn't get notified on Twitter. It wasn't until I was like checking out my Twitter comments that I saw it from the the guy. Yeah, and uh, he said he was getting uh, blessed by Huggy Bear and Franken Preacher. But I want to be Franken Preach. Yo, Franken Preach <laughs> makes just, me sound cool. You just want to be cool. Well, here, here's yeah. a word from Yoda, the poser. Welcome, you are. This week's episode of the Church Planter Podcast is brought to you by Mo Give. People were wondering, where was MoGiv last week? Where was MoGiv? Well, <laughs> MoGiv is on the uh, twice a month uh, uh, advertising plan. That's where they were. But I thought it was funny that people actually miss the MoGiv commercial. It's <laughs> the only reason we listen to the podcast. I Come mean, on, guys. They they like are more energetic about the MoGiv commercial than they are about listening to us. That tells you something right there. Right there. Absolutely. Shows where our listening audience is. Hey, Peyton, have you been wanting to get your church started with online giving? Now, come on. Be honest. Dude, that blows me away. Did you have a prophetic dream again? Because I was. Well, you know, actually, it was a vision. I had a vision that uh, you (laughs) wanted to get your church started with online giving and that you had even been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder. That's almost as blasphemous as what we just said before that. (laughs) Stop it. A better solution is here. MoGiv, spelled M-O-G-I-V. 
I love how it like blows out the mic when you do that. It's so oh, yeah, great. It, it, glasses breaking. It, that's my goal. Dogs are howling. Glasses breaking. <laughs> Babies crying. MoGive is an online and text-based giving platform built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. Go to MoGive.com forward slash church to learn more. That's MoGive, M-O-G-I-V dot com. Specifically. Specifically designed for that. No E on the end of MoGive. It's, you know, you got to think trendy. We we MoGiven. It's just MoGive. No E. Yo, yo, it'd be talking about MoGive. <laughs> And, uh, well, now it's that uh, time in our show when we get a little uh, smack talk going. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Now that it's that part of the show where we talk smack, what you gonna do when the Church Planner Podcast runs wild on you? I was telling you before, though, I got nothing. I got no funny stories. Oh, you know, and that's so weird because all week you're like, Oh man, I got these awesome stories. I got, and I'm like prying them out. No, come on, man. Tell me, tell me, come on. Come I told on, you, me. I said, I wanted to save them for the podcast. And you're like, no, I'm just tell it to me now. I know. And you did. And we were dying. And then I told you, dude, just write them down. And so you go, okay. <laughs> you write them down. Well, I did. I found, I found my note. I mean, I could tell you what it was again. Nah. It's just never as good the second time. It was the Hotel Impossible. Remember the, uh, what was the name of that city? I already forgot it, man. So you might as well tell it again. Well, okay, all right. Here, here it is. Here's it's. I don't think it's that funny of a story. It was just. It made me think about a church planning principle. One of the shows that Jamie and I love to watch is Hotel Impossible. It's a it's a fantastic show. Basically, the guy Anthony uh, Anthony Melchior is his name. He'll go into a hotel and he likes to turn around hotels. So he's been you know the main the main dude at like uh, you know Four Seasons and the plaza and you know all these these top four star hotels so um I, I immediately am captivated because they go to and i can't remember the name of the town but it's a town we actually uh, had a church planner that's doing a church plant in the same town and it's in like uh isn't it south dakota isn't it like wilmington or something like that do, do you know the church the uh it's a boom town the town i'm talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember the name of the town, but I remember uh, I remember we had a video in Church Planner magazine about it because they've got like three churches in the whole town, and it's it's a boom town, which means if you don't know what that means, um, think of like Tombstone or uh, you know if you've watched any of those shows, Deadwood. Um, it's it's a town where they've basically discovered oil that they've got there, or they finally got the the ability to get the oil out of the ground. So in the last four years, it's grown from a town of 12,000 to 48,000. Now imagine that kind of growth that quickly. That's just mind boggling. So uh, most of the oil workers that live there for the last few years, they've been like living in their cars. They live in trailers. There's literally no place for them to live. I mean, yeah. we're not talking about they're in a big city. They're in the middle of like like South Dakota or North Dakota or something like I mean, it's like the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and the money's like good, man. It's crazy. Oh, hundred grand. Everyone's making a hundred grand a year. And so like any boom town, that means everything is insanely expensive. Cause, you know, it's kind of like when guys were panning for gold, the people who made all the money were the ones who sold the shovels and the the pans. It wasn't the people who went out there and actually mined the gold. Yeah. And um so anyway, he Anthony Mercury, he gets called out to this hotel. It's called uh, Missouri Flats. And 
it's a very low end ghetto hotel and the people who stay there live there. Right. So almost every hotel room in the town is sold out all the time. Right. Because people live there. I mean, there's nowhere else for them to live. Now, granted, there's all kinds of construction going on right now. Um, There's uh, another five high end hotels that are being built and they're actually building them for oil workers so the the difference between that and like a regular hotel room is they'll have what's called a mud room. Uh, you you might see that if you like hunting or, or fishing or things like that. Maybe go to Alaska. They'll have a mud room. And that's where you can take off all your stinky, dirty, muddy clothes before going into the rest of your room. So that way you're not like tracking mud all the way through it. And so, I mean, yeah. they're, they're building out this because oil workers are just dirty. They're in the mud. They're in the dirt. They're just they're filthy when they get home. And they don't want to track all that through and bring it into their beds and stuff like that. So this hotel is making money hand over fist. Mm. And um, that and, and it kind of surprised Anthony because he's like, well, why am I here? And they're like, oh, well, we could always do better. And he goes, well, I'm not the guy who helps you do better. I come in and I help hotels that are struggling and I help them turn themselves around. And he's like, oh, what are you making? And they're like, oh, you know, we're making about uh, six, seven hundred thousand dollars in profit a year i mean that's 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 a lot of change right and so he's looking at this hotel and this hotel is like a rat hole the 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 it's disgusting i mean they don't clean it there's no safety um Mm. so he he, he's about ready to leave he's about ready to take everyone and just uh, leave and but he starts talking to some of the guests and like they interview this one guy and this one guy, I mean, dude, you, you could tell he's an oil worker. He's got this huge St. Bernard dog with him named, uh, I think it was like uh, uh, JD was the dog's name. And this guy, the oil worker is this huge guy and his name is Bubba. So you got Bubba and JD. I mean, it's like perfect. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have asked for a better scenario. And, you know, he's talking to him. He's like, well, yeah, I have to stay here because it's the only way I can afford. And he's paying a hundred bucks a night. So, you know, that's like three grand a month. And he's like, the only way I can afford to uh, to stay here and still send the money home that I need to send home to my family, you know, because I've got wife and kids and and it's tough for me to be away. And so Anthony's like, look, I want to fix this place up for the guests because these are hardworking people. And uh, but this particular hotel, this hotel is like. It's it, he Anthony ends up talking with this uh, guy who works private security and he wouldn't talk to him in the city limits. He goes, well, if we go out of the city limits, I'll I'll give you what you want to know. And right. so they go outside the city limits and he's he's talking to the private security guy and he goes, well, what do you uh, think about Missouri flats? And he goes, well, it's also known as felony flats. And he's like, why is that? And he goes, well, we've had people killed there. He goes, um, prostitution, drugs. And he goes, so prostitutes go there. He goes, prostitutes go there. Prostitutes live there. And uh, doors will just be left open. So if you want to, like, come in, you can just come right in. I mean, it's like the hotbed of of sin, if you will. And I remembered from the guy that we had uh, submit the video for Church Planner Magazine, um, I want to say there was only, like, three churches in the whole town. And... And what I was telling you about this story before, because I was like, dude, if you wanted to be like a church planner, this is like great fertile ground for it. Not fertile in the sense that you're going to build up a big church or anything like that. But like these are people who need it. Right. 
Like, yeah. you if you wanted to start a missional community in the heart of an evil, evil place, you can go rent a hotel room at Missouri Flats. Yeah. And boom, right there. You that that could be your your witnessing ground. But it reminded me of the old uh, joke that salespeople hear this story all the time. I mean, I've heard it so many times growing up. But there's these uh, two shoe executives and they work for like a tennis shoe company and and both of them are major companies, a uh, different company. I thought you were going to say two shoe executives walk into a bar, but that's not where you went with that. Well, it's actually two shoe executives and a pastor and a rabbi. <laughs> So um, they they both uh, are sent to this one tiny village in Africa, and the first guy gets there and he walks around and he, he's meeting all the people that are in this tiny village in the middle of nowhere. And there's like one payphone, and how they got a payphone in there, no one even understands. But he goes over to the payphone and he calls back his his boss at the shoe uh, company, and he goes, "Don't bother sending any shoes. No one here wears any shoes. I'm coming home." And the next guy gets there, a next executive from a different shoe company, and he's walking around, he's meeting people, and he runs to the payphone, and he calls the executives, and he goes, send all the shoes you got. No one here is wearing any shoes. <laughs> and, like, he's so excited. And and the, I just had that thought as I'm watching this episode, and I'm remembering back the church planner, because there's a lot of church planners that you and I see and stuff. And they'd be looking at that going, okay, there's no Christians. How are you going to build up a church? You know, there's no one to pull from because they're thinking, you know, how do you pull in the saved? Yep. And they're not there. And then you got, you know, the other church planner going, this is awesome. There's no <laughs> churches here, you know? It, it's such a great analogy of, you know, how, how a real church, how the Apostle Paul would think of it as opposed to how guys are like, well, let's go where the young families are, you know, with the... Christians that are newly moved into an area that are looking for a church. You know, no, a, a church planner goes, I want to go to a place where people aren't looking for a church and plan a church and show them why they need God. Yeah. And imagine how bad and rough this area is because they interviewed this gal and um, she had moved there because she wanted to start her own business. So she started a coffee shop actually in the parking lot of the Missouri flats. And it just had this huge line of cars. And so Anthony like interviews her. She's like, well, I had this idea to, um, I, I always wanted to have a coffee shop. And uh, this is a town where there's, <laughs> I don't know if this is accurate. It probably is, but it's a hundred to one ratio of men to women. Like there's a hundred wow. men for every one woman because they're all oil workers and they're there to work the fields. Imagine yeah. why there's so much prostitution there when you got like, you know, no one's there with their family. They're just, you know, anyway. can you ex I actually can't imagine. Can you ex no. explain that to me? I can't. Okay. I can't. So she starts this coffee shop and she calls them uh, babe baristas or something. And they're basically, <laughs> you know, semi, I would say semi hot chicks. I wouldn't call them hot chicks. Right. But it's like if there's a hundred to one ratio, all of a sudden they're hot. Oh man, I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to get so much hate mail now. Okay, yeah, that's not what I meant yeah, at all. That's actually really sad. That's that, a really what that they don't have more attractive women. No, I'm sorry. See, I can't stop. I got to edit all that out. All you right. just need. <laughs> I'm going to get so much hate. No, actually, I, I I don't know. I thought they were actually you know attractive women, stop. but I'm I'm married, so just I'm. Stop. I can't just stop. stop talking. <laughs> But here's, here's the point of bringing all that up. So he starts interviewing the guys who are getting coffee and stuff. And he's like, so tell me, why do you come here? 
and they're all it's good coffee. And he goes, well, what about the women? He goes, what if the the women? Um, it wasn't women running; it was men. Would you still come here? And like every guy they interviewed is like, yeah, the coffee's really good and the service is really good. Mm. And so it was interesting to me because I'm looking at that going, you know, the the chick thinks that it's all about you know there's all these men and they're going to come because yeah. you know we're women. But people want good service, right? They want quality. Yeah. And it, you don't have, like, sex doesn't have to be, like, the natural thing that you fall back on when you try to sell stuff. I can't tell you how many times I deal with that with companies who are, like, you know, sex sells. So let's let's put the hot chick and, you know, do that. But there's there's got to be more to it. So anyway, my point in all of that is uh, that if you want to start a church, I think that's a great area to go to. There you go. That's my whole point. Yeah, and and like you said though, where one guy sees, oh, there's no need for anything here because it it doesn't look like anyone else is doing it. Where like you said, a church, I just think it it does outline the mindset that a church planner needs to have, where he sees opportunity. Hey, none of these people know that they need it, and it's my job to show them their need. I have to inform the market, as it were. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I just, I would, I would love to move out there. I mean, if I could get my wife to leave California, I would do it in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even care where we went. That's the funny thing about you. It's like, we're, we're doing our topic today, right? And we're going to talk about, um, well, I, I don't want to give it away, but we never even, we're supposed to give it away, aren't we? Before we get into the smack. We are, we, yeah, we're totally blowing it. But, but here's the deal is as many times as you and I are getting ready to, we're talking over the topic before we do the podcast and then you go, oh, but I'm not a church planner. So I won't have much to, to contribute on that. And here you are, you're like, I want to go there. I want to go there. Yeah, but I don't know that there. I would necessarily want to go there to start a church. Like, I would go there, and I would find that dude who's doing the church plant. I'd be like, all right, how can I help you? Because yeah. I'm, I'm not a main guy, right? I'm not, I'm well, not the church planter. I'm, I'm the supporting actor. <laughs> in that. that was one of our first issues in Church Planter Magazine, where the latest town that had that, there was a video put together. It was an incredible video. And we put it in church planner. That's what I've been talking about. It's that same city. No. Yeah, I know. I know. And, you know, so if you guys, um, in fact, this month, uh, church planner magazine is going to a paid subscription. So if you guys did not, uh, enter the contest to get that, um, you know, too bad, but, uh, but you can enter to, uh, to get the, uh, you can actually buy a subscription in church planner magazine. But if you go back to the back issues, can they get the back issues, Pete? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. You can actually buy back issues. I think they're five dollars a piece, so okay. um, you can buy back issues. Yeah, but it's in there, and it we is. We can't a, tell you. It, just keep buying. Keep buying until yeah, you find the right video. Keep buying every issue since it was an early one. Start with the latest issues and work your way backwards. There you go. I'll I'll see if I can find which <laughs> issue it was, but no, it was I see, like I look at something like that and I'm like, dude, this is a gold mine. Like I would love to move to this town and figure out how I could make money. And then at the same time I'd be like, okay, now where's the church plant that I can help out because that's like fertile ground, right? That's Absolutely. <laughs> that's a town. There's like murders all the time happening in this place. Yeah. And yeah. they've had police raid this hotel. There's there's apparently three hotels that are like this. And um and the the owner is just, I mean, Anthony doesn't have nice words for the owner. Anthony's like, yeah. look, this guy is just making money and he doesn't give a rip about any of the people who stay here. He goes, you can't make this much money and literally put nothing back into your hotel. And you look at it 
and it's a it's a wreck. I mean, yeah. bugs, uh, cleaning, security is a big issue, and like so. Mm-hmm. So here was one of the concerns. Like he interviews the the night manager, and Anthony's like, "Just so you know, I got a real heart for night managers because I used to be one." He goes, "What right. are some of your concerns?" And he goes, "Well, safety." He goes, "These doors don't lock, and we got people coming through here all hours of the night." And he goes, "So here's what he did: he ends up putting these locks on the doors that alarm if someone tries to uh, keep the doors open." So the general manager's mm-hmm. like, "Well, is it really loud? Is it going to bother people?" And he goes, "I hope it wakes the whole city." He goes, that'll keep people from keeping the door open. And like, then she started to get the picture. And then he's explaining to the night manager. He goes, okay, so here's what you do. We're going to put a buzzer on the front door. And when someone tries to come in, you can buzz them in. And if you recognize them, you can let them go up to the room. But if you don't recognize them, you just ask them to sign in and show them a, a valid ID. Yeah. And the guy goes, well, what if they don't want to give it? And he goes, well, you just tell him you can't come in here unless we have a valid ID after hours and we have to have you sign in. And he goes, do you think drug dealers and prostitutes are going to want to give you their ID? <laughs> and and awesome. he's like, no. And he goes, that's how you get rid of that problem. <laughs> it's wow. just like, but like the stuff that they run into, I would, ne- I mean, cause I've never been in that kind of an environment and, and run that well, kind of a hotel. Well, and I mean, I have, have you? we adopted her. Yeah, when we adopted our second daughter, gosh, like a year and a half ago, we went to, um, we were in Minnesota. I'm trying to think where we're at. No. Yeah, we were in Minnesota, right? So yeah. Michigan. Uh-huh. No, it was Minnesota. Yeah, it was Minnesota. Gosh, get those states confused. Sorry, guys, that live in either one of those places. But um, basically, yeah, we were just we sorry, actually, because you live in those. But oh, hey. Sorry. We got a phone call while we were out of town. We were up in Oregon and we got the phone call from the adoption agency and they're like, Hey, you gotta, you, you know, you gotta come. This baby's in the, in the neonatal ICU, um, been on life support. Uh, it, it's, we, we think she, she, in fact, they called us the day she got stabilized, but they're like, look, she could be blind. She might have spina bifida. She might have cerebral palsy. She might, you know, like there was this big laundry list. But we felt the Lord in it anyway. So we had to we had to just immediately book a plane ticket and get the heck out of there and go over and find a place. We know how it is. Like these are these hotels are expensive. And they're telling us, like, you're probably gonna stay here uh one to two months. Mm. And of course, Church Zero had just come out. I had all these interviews for the book, cha-ching, and uh I couldn't um I couldn't do a lot of my interviews, which sucked, but um, but anyways, the, uh, we had to find a hotel. So we found the hotel right outside the prison, like right down the road from the prison. I'm telling you, man, it was like a long stay hotel. And after about a week, I was like, babe, I'm, I'm moving you out of here. And we, we were actually able to go to the Ronald McDonald house. So, yeah, it's actually the name of it. Uh, the town is Williston, North Dakota. That's where it is. Williston, North Dakota. Yeah, but it was dangerous, man. I remember being in this place, and it was a long stay for outside of the prison, and it it was an element, man. And I felt like, wow, this is this is just about as as low as I've been as far as places I've stayed, and I've stayed in some flea bags, man. So, anyways, but all all that to say, you know, just when you're talking even about the danger, you know, where the guy goes, hey, my my chief interest is safety. Hey, you know, you know, in 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 Long Beach, you know, we're in Bixby, man. That mm-hmm. that was. That was our chief interest, you yeah. know, Look, yeah. looking at making sure. And I, and I remember praying like, God, don't let any of my people get hurt. 
You know, it's <laughs> not like the die. Patch Adams deal. Especially the big tithers. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> we didn't have any of those. I, 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 yeah. So, okay, let's get into today's topic. What is today's topic, by the way? Oh, wait, wait. Brown. I'm supposed to do... Where's uh, Doc Brown, baby? All right, here's Doc Brown. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Okay, so today's topic is the five, my top five. We're doing that series, and it's my top five worst moments in church planning. We just did a two-part, uh, two-episode, uh, my five best days, and I think we did like the, the three in the first episode and the two in the second. So it's my five worst days. So, Pete, what are my five worst days? I thought you already did your five worst. No, we did the five worst. What did we do again? Yeah. No, we did our top Biggest five struggles. Challenges. Biggest struggles our is biggest, what we did. Yeah, so I, I call them struggles. You call them challenges. I like yours better. Then we did my top five um, uh, mistakes, which, you know, to, to equate your mistake with your worst day, is really not a good idea because in some cases your your biggest mistakes can be your best days and i think i mentioned how some of my mistakes were actually turning points for me like massive turning points and you know it, it's kind of like the i think it was lee iacocca who said no no one ever learns anything by succeeding the greatest mm. lessons are learned through failing and so you know no one learns anything by success um, success doesn't teach you. Failure teaches you. Peter learned through failing, right? Um, and Jesus let him fail a little bit. So one of the reasons why when I looked at New Breed and how we do church planning, I kind of was like, you know, they, they really boast. Like, I, I love 829. I'm not, I'm not picking them apart or anything. Please don't take that in the slightest bit this way. I love those guys. Big respect. But I remember they're like, we have a 90, and I think it was like a 95% success rate which is impressive, and they pride in themselves on it. Me and my buddy were talking. He was part of a 829 leadership, and he was like, mate, I would have never done what you did, um, letting this guy fail. And I remember thinking that might be a philosophical difference of where I'm at because I personally think occasionally people have to fail, hmm. and it, it can be one of the greatest things to equip someone for what they have to do next. Interesting. Yeah. On that topic, uh, I can't tell you how many times when I've talked to people about something in business and I've brought up, oh, you know, I did this one time and it, you know, failed or I started this company and it failed over here. And, and I like I had this one specific conversation with this one guy and I, I you know, was talking about a, my film production company, which is the first company I tried. And like, yeah, and it failed. And here's why it failed. Um, here's what I did wrong. And and he just goes, Oh no, 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 no. Let's not say it failed. Let's, let's say, so. and I'm like, Oh, okay. You don't get it yet. You talk to other business owners and you talk about failure. They don't look at you with, uh, you know, disrespect or, Oh, you couldn't make it. I go, that's what the idiot thinks. Oh, you failed. There's something wrong with you. The business yeah. guy goes, dude, yeah, you have to fail. You got to fail all the time. That's the yeah. only way you're going to get to the successes. It's like a totally different way of looking at things. And I'm sure it's the same way even with church planning and stuff. It's like yeah. if all you've done is met someone who succeeded, it's kind of like, okay, either I don't believe you or there's something wrong here. Just like how, how can you always be right? You can't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's what God uses to teach you. I mean, Peter was, was allowed to fail, but Jesus tells him, you're going to fail, Peter. 
you're Satan's asked to sift you like wheat and you will fall, but you'll be restored to your brothers. Boom, boom, boom. He just tells him you're going to fail. You're going to deny me. And he's like, no, Lord, you know, like failure is like the worst thing that can happen in Peter's. But, oh, Lord, you know, far from me, you know, and and I think all of us have that kind of weird thing. And, and Paul comes to that point where he's like, hey, when I'm weak, I'm strong. You know, I got this thorn in the flesh, but but the Lord's teaching me about grace. He's teaching me that it's not about feeling good about me. It's not being on top of the world. It's not being a spiritual giant. It's his grace. And that is sufficient for me. And I think that that when you come down to it, you know, it's kind of like Thomas Edison. I can't remember. I shouldn't even quote it because I can't remember the quote. But Thomas Edison was like, you know, he failed so many times in inventing the light bulb. And he had a cool little kind of twist where he said, I didn't look at it as if, you know, I failed. Uh, he, he saw it as a part of the process. And I can't remember the, the little pithy turn of phrase that he used. But to him, failure was not an enemy. Failure was the pathway to success. And so I, I believe that's biblical. I believe that. Um, even in the scripture where they get stuff wrong or they fail, um, they come out kind of like more sweet in the end. Charles Spurgeon used to say, David was like an olive. The more you crushed him, the more of the, the oil of the Holy Spirit was pressed out of him. And um, really, if we look at it right, it looks on the surface from the world standards as if the cross was a failure. And it turns out to be God's biggest success where the son of God comes and he's crucified, um, you know, and he's laid in a tomb for three days. I mean, it just looks like it's all over. And so the cross was the point at which the whole world changed, you know, the, the, the economy of heaven uh, transferred into a new currency. And so um, what appears to be failure often isn't, is, is my point. But anyway, so my, my five biggest mistakes, I don't equate with my five worst days. So we're going to talk about worst days, and this is very personal, very subjective. In fact, we prayed before the podcast because I told Pete, some of these wounds have never healed yet, right? It's not like Lancelot and Excalibur, the old wound, it's never healed, you know? <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, that's where I'm at with some of these. So my top one, and Pete, break in here because, you know, save me. Save me from myself. Don't let me talk too much on these. Um, but my first uh, worst day of church planning, and I, I can't just pin it down to one. It's happened many, many times. And I would say my the first thing that comes to mind is friendly fire. Mm. I can handle the enemy. I can handle non-believers. I can even handle disgruntled Christians who come and just don't get what we're doing. And they're like, hey. But when it comes to a leader, and you know this from working with me, when it comes to a leader, I expect great things from them. I expect more from them. I expect spiritual maturity. I don't expect them to be perfect or not to get stuff wrong. But I do expect, uh, and, and this comes down, I think, to a fundamental way that I do ministry. I build ministry on friendship. I always have. And I've, I've heard wise and old sage leaders say, you can't do that. Because people would betray you. Well, you know, I, I, I've been a part of a, a family, and I mean like an earthly family, like mom, dads, brothers, cousins. And 
you know, I agree with Bono. Home is where the hurt is. I mean, family, you get married, that, that's where you get hurt the most is in your family. So I've not seen that principle that they're trying to sell me be hardwired into the reality of how life works. And so if my solution is, well, don't ever serve with friends, well, that kind of sucks, right? Because Paul's saying things like, you know, uh, Timothy, my true son in the faith. I mean, there is a relationship there. In fact, it's it's almost beyond friendship. It's it's kind of a, a relationship that is more familial. It's almost like Paul's adopted him. They're like father and son. And, you know, you get the sense like when he talks about Epaphroditus and he says, you know, he was spared, uh, God spared his life to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Um, Paul loved this guy. He was almost like saying, I couldn't bear if he died. Um, you know, I, I almost couldn't cope and I feel like God prolonged his life for me. Hmm. And so uh, when I look at the scripture, even where Jesus talks about the strength of the relationship he has with the disciples, he says, um, he says, um, you know, uh, up to this point, you've been my disciples, but now I call you friends. And that's a real, in, in that culture, that's a big deal. That's Jesus saying, hey, I'm, I'm letting you into my heart. And then he shares with him, you know, everything, you know, in, in John 14 through 16. And, um, and so the idea of building ministry upon friendship for me is biblical. And when I hear guys say something different, it, I, I'm never convinced. I understand their hesitancy. I understand the wisdom behind protecting yourself, guarding yourself. I get all of that. Um, and, and so, you know, I can say, I'll just keep it very um, vague, but uh, when I first got back from Europe, I came back and I had a guy on my team and they just went nuts for us. Just love you, love you, love you. And um, I think because my wife and I had just left some of our lifelong friends in Europe. I mean, people that still, I've been back four years, they're always, hey, how are you doing? And they were special, special people. The Europeans are amazing. And, you know, so, you know, I come back and and I'm, I'm mourning the loss of these friendships that I don't get to be with my people that became lifelong friends. And again, I, I would become friends with everybody in the church. It didn't matter to me. I minister best to people I'm friends with. And like I said, a lot of you guys have been taught something totally different. That's cool if that works for you, but it doesn't work for me. But I would say like Paul, when I read Paul's epistles, um, his deepest pains and his deepest wounds are when his friends have let him down and his friends have betrayed him. And so when I go back to that time, when I first got back with that couple, um, there was a real betrayal and it wasn't cause I was like in power or this and that. It's just, I don't know. Sometimes people have issues and they, um, they see you as like a power figure an authority figure. And I, I don't, I still to this day don't understand it. I can't pretend that I do cause I was super, super cool. Every time that they, came to me with like a laundry list and it happened every couple months, a laundry list of like 20 things that they were upset at me about. And I just, cause I loved them as friends. I just, Oh, okay. You know, and I talked through it with them and um, be super patient. And, um, and at a certain point it just started really wearing thin and, um, but it still hurt. And ultimately, you know, I gave them every chance I could. I was, it's kind of like Jesus with Judas, 
where it says, you know, he loved him until the end hmm. um, about Judas. That's how I felt. And eventually I got stabbed in, in through the heart and it hurt. And so when I come to my worst moments, I think I could, I could say that was the most recent happened a couple years ago, but, um, but it doesn't change me. I don't stop being friends with people. I still know in my heart of hearts that the best way to, to minister to people is to be friends. So and you're saying yet, one of the worst days was this friend who you felt stabbed you in the heart and, yeah. you know, had a bunch of grievances against you and stuff yeah. like that and didn't yeah, want to resolve and, it. Was that the issue? Yeah. Didn't want to resolve it. In fact, um, we as a leadership had a chat with him because it turned into a bunch of gossip stuff. And so we sat down in their living room and had a chat and just said, Hey, boom, boom, boom. And why don't you guys take a break from what you're doing? And, um, but come back in like, you know, six months and don't, but let's work this out. You know, let's, let's put our friendship ahead of ministry. And, um, you know, if the ministry is getting in the way, let's stay friends. Come on, you know, boom, boom, boom. And just being super cool to them. And, um, and they, they just, it was weird, man. They just on a dime, they're like, no, we're gone. And it, 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 you know, it, it hurt, man. That that's all I can say is it hurt. And I think, uh, ministers, this is a common story. And sometimes you hear of it and, and you can kind of tell like, oh, that guy was real authoritarian. He was a jerk. And, you know. People just kind of let him have it. And, you know, he's saying he's hurt. But in this case, if you've ever served with me in church, you know, the opposite of what I am is authoritarian. You know, I talk everything through. I'm not a bulldozer. I mean, it's, you know, it wasn't like I opened myself up to these things. It just, I, I just think it was more their issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, hmm. And, uh, but, but it, that could be played out, you know, various times where other leaders had stabbed me. I can remember going, gosh, there wasn't a single church that I've been to where I didn't have a leader stab me in the back. And, you know, gosh, we could go through all the different reasons and different scenarios, but that's not really what I want to do. But, uh, but you get used to it and you kind of tend to. What what do you recommend for resolving those situations? Because some of them can be resolved. I, I think it comes back to what Jesus said, where he goes just you know, treat others as you want to be treated. So I always think to myself, okay, this, I I always tell myself, I'm not going to be the jerk who, you know, flame blasts them and says, how dare you? I'm the anointed of God. I don't think like that. You know, I always come back to, hey, we're friends. Like, how would I deal with this as a friend? And so I always come back to friendship. And, you know, for me, it, it comes down to, um, you know, I uh, like one of the things I did with this this particular case I'm talking about. And I've done it with every case, is when it doesn't end well, and it's usually the other person is bent on us separating or going separate ways. I can honestly go through every single leader that's done it, and in the in the in the goodness of my own, you know, in in the cleanness of my own conscience, I can look back and think. At every point after the fact, I called them up and said, Hey, you want to do something? You want to, you want to get a cup of coffee? You want to get lunch or write them a note and say, Hey man, I miss you. I know that, you know, you've moved on, but I want to say, I still love you, still miss you. And I've done that with including this person. And, you know, I got back from them. Hey, I love you too. But, um, and I miss you too. But I, I think with that last situation, because there was so much disingenuousness, um, coming, 
through that relationship that I didn't understand. Like I was very naive. Part of it was I was really desperate for friendship coming back from Europe. Like I, I, I my friends mean a lot. Well, we know I you were desperate for friendship. Hence me. <laughs> yeah. I just, I reached out to the nearest person. I mean, <laughs> the first person on the list I called. Will you be my friend? You know, you know, what's ironic is all of my friends, including that guy, were an entrepreneur. All my friends since I've been an entrepreneurial church planner have been entrepreneurs. All my close friends. Like hands down. It's weird. Interesting. Yeah. I, I I don't know what that's about, but it's definitely true. So, okay. So my second one, <laughs> you guess this one. Go on, Pete. What was my second? You guessed it before the podcast. <laughs> oh, it's got to be when uh, <laughs> you've had uh, income cut for whatever reason. A uh, A donor has decided to cut your income. Yeah. And, and to kind of, I mean, I'm going to say it cause there's no, uh, there's no, um, bad blood on this, but, um, but it always hurts, particularly when it's one of your sending churches. And I've got a couple churches that, um, have partnered with me and said, Hey, we consider you a part of the family and we're going to send you out. And I, I can remember the day that I got the phone call first. It started with an email and then I got a phone call and we chatted through and they're like, Hey, you know, we, we're going to cut you. And, and I remember just thinking, gosh, you know, what do I do on this? That was a bad day in church planning. And cause it's the, usually it a was, big cut too. It's not like it was a huge cut and there wasn't any malice on their side, but it was kind of like a lack of understanding of what I do. And I think that cut more than the money. So, for example, and they were paying me. They didn't pay any of their missionaries like that, like they were paying me. But I just remember feeling like, you know, wow, you know, like I I thought you guys had the vision to plant multiple churches. And so for me, I more not so much the paycheck, although that that wasn't it. I can honestly say it was more of an emotional. Dude, you did uh, more in the paycheck. I mean, I remember I when this happened. Yeah, no, I'm, and I'm not saying I, I didn't, but I, I can honestly say in my heart of hearts, it was more than that. Oh, and I'm that, sure. that's yeah. not, it was more than that to me. It was more the, the lack. Um, one of my pet peeves is being misunderstood. And, you know, I should have picked a different job in ministry, but, um, you know, that just is an occupational hazard. But, um, but it, you know, it, like I said, they were really cool. I mean, they they, they couldn't have acted cooler about it. Um, they, you know, they talked to me, they talked me through it. And at the end, at the end of the day, I decided not to pursue it. I think if I had gone back and said, Hey, boom, boom, boom. Uh, I think I would have gotten further, but in the end, spending more time in prayer, I kind of felt I'm going to let this go. And I can remember I, I did actually meet with my, one of my singing pastors and say, Hey, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk to him today. And I was just getting ready to, and someone goes, Hey, and they walked up and recognized him and totally ended the conversation. I remember going, all right, Lord, that's cool. You know, because in some ways you're free by not, um, you know, having all that money, um, thrown at you, you're, you're completely free. You're a little bit beholden when you take a big paycheck from someone. And I, that's always kind of, I, I know we've talked about that before. The more money people give you, 
the more they will try to control you. And so well, I remember too, you, um, being really, uh, bummed out at uh, another, uh, church that was supporting you and they were like, well, we only support missionaries that are overseas. And now that you're back here in the States, you're not uh, a missionary yeah. anymore. Yeah. I actually, I actually flame blogged about that and, uh, <laughs> they call me up and go, Hey, is that us? And I go, yeah, that was you. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then he corrected and he goes, there, he corrected me. He goes, well, he goes, we weren't giving you that much. <laughs> I go, oh, okay. Well, I'm not so bummed because I think I, I think I had projected they had been giving, uh, four times more. And he goes, oh no, we stopped giving you that much a few years ago. So that was kind of funny. You know? <laughs> like, oh, but, uh, so you, you know, should have been like, angry a couple of years before that. <laughs> yeah. You know, what was funny though? Yeah, absolutely. What was funny is that, uh, I didn't, but again, it always goes back. It feels personal to me. The reason I flame blog that I was hurt and not just hurt for me, it's more hurt for the cause of church planning, particularly like, well, you know, we start off this, this podcast talking about the, uh, the boom town. Well, I mean, for me, every time that I get, you know, uh, dropped like that, it, to me, it's again, it's the lack of vision. It's the, the vision for church planning has taken a hit. I feel like I'm taking a hit for the team. I don't feel like it's a personal hit. I feel like, man, I thought we were getting somewhere because if I see people giving towards the work of church planning and mobilize, it's kind of like the missional movement. I'm encouraged by that because I'm like, man, you know, people are, are starting to get the mission of God. And if I feel that people ha have suddenly, oh, no, we're going to do this instead. We've got a remodel project or we've got this or we want to put another guy on staff who's going to babysit more Christians so we can keep the Christians happy rather than invest in mission. That's always a sore point for me. And I can say, you know, like I said before, that's that was actually the sore point. Mm. So my third one, and gosh, he's all tied together. Man, you can really see my Achilles heel through these. Um, my third one was the day that I realized, and we've talked about this on the podcast, the day I realized that church planters are can be as big empire builders as um, established church guys. And that, you know, when I was in Europe, I was, you know, church planning in Europe was basically like a vow of poverty, right? It was just blood, sweat, and tears, man. It, it was hardcore. And so when I got back to America and I was like, oh, man, you know, I'm seeing people target, you know, rich middle class areas. And I was like, wow, you know, um, I don't got a problem with that. Those people need the gospel too. But what I had a problem with was the imbalance between people targeting rich middle class neighborhoods and lower economic neighborhoods, um, ghettos, inner cities, urban church planning. And although we talk about it, it's really funny in the church how we like to talk about trendy, like discipleship, leadership, multiplication, urban, race issues. These are all very trendy right now. And what the church is really good at is saying, but not doing, mm. talking but not changing their behavior. And that's because individuals are really good. We're really good at substituting talk for action. And so for me, 
um, when I got back, that was really hard. And so I can remember the day that I was speaking with the head of a large church planning ministry. And I was really, I was, I was kind of gung ho for this ministry. In fact, I remember going to one of their conferences and looking at my wife and saying, these are our people that this feels like home to me. Like I, I feel like we're finally home. And this conference does a lot of good, don't get me wrong, in this this movement. But I remember talking to the head of it, and he was recruiting me onto the team. And um, and 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 so we had this chat, and I'll never forget where he just said, Look, you know, my goal is to dominate the church planning. It's it's to crush all competition. I just remember like sitting there kind of going this is a joke, right? Like this has, he has to be kidding. Like at some point he's going to be like, ah, pull my finger. Right. And then we're all going to laugh, but he wasn't. And so it, it was for me, that was a bad day because mm -hmm. I, I just remember feeling that same sense of like the kingdom of God has really taken a blow, at least in my mind, like, you know, the kingdom will roll on. God will do good. It's kind of like Paul said, you know, um, some preach Christ out of selfish ambition. And I think he had to come to this point, but he goes and some preach out of pure motive, but nonetheless, Christ is preached. God be praised. Christ is preached. Um, and, and that was kind of where you and I have talked about it because I remember we were discussing partnership and deeper involvement with them, even with church planner magazine. And we just, we just had to walk, you know, we just had to kind of say, all right, you know, that this, we didn't feel right about it. And, um, and we've seen that from time to time doing what we do. And, and those are, again, it's not one day in time, but I think it's been my worst days. My worst moments are those moments. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, I get it and I see it and I've been there, um, you know, with you on some of that stuff. And, uh, that's very disheartening. It's very disheartening yeah. when you hear that in the church planning community because it's kind of like I get that from the church community. I get that from the the established church community, and not that I should, right? Not not that it's okay, but that's I think what turned me off so much. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but you know, for years I, I couldn't stand going to church. Couldn't stand it. It was like painful. You know, when, when the, uh, we, we've got the Long Beach Marathon and when that thing happens, it's like a nightmare <laughs> getting to church, right? It doesn't matter where Not you go to the church. pride parade, those two days. Well, the pride parade though, it still stays down mostly in downtown, but the yeah. Long Beach Marathon goes all over Long Beach. So it's really hard to maneuver past that. And when that would happen, like my, uh, my wife and I, we lived in Long Beach at the time when we went to church, um, it was in Long Beach and it was, I don't know, maybe mile and a half away from our house. And then I wouldn't even go because I'm like, look, it's too hard to get that mile and a half because you got to drive like all the way around and you never know where you can cross over and stuff like that. And um, I mean, church has had a very different feel for me. So I'm used to seeing that in the church and I hate to see it. It irks me when I see it with church planners and church yeah. planning organizations because to me, what what really helped me was being a part of a church plant and finally seeing, oh, this is what Christianity is supposed to be. 
This is what yeah. it's supposed to be like. Absolutely. And and so it's like I I want to to keep seeing that. I want others to see that. And I mean, on some level, I think that's why I really like the smaller church plants. Yeah. Which is not to say, and you and I have talked about this. It's not to say that that's the way God's going to do it everywhere, no. right? I mean, no. Every every size has validation. Exactly. I mean, and yeah. Rick Warren is, of course, the great example of planning a church that's now a mega church, right? Yeah, and absolutely. Um, but yet is totally focused on church planning, totally focused on church planning and, and reaching the lost. So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I get that. I, I hear what you're saying when, you know, things like that really kind of give you a bad day. One of the worst days is when you hear stuff like that. And it's not. Yeah. And it, it's kind of like Isaac, right? Like when Isaac's tooling around, you know, the Valley of Gerar and he's digging the wells of water and um, the Philistines, you know, keep coming to him and they keep, every time he digs a well, they're like, that's our well. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, so they quarrel his herdsmen quarrel with their herdsmen and everywhere he goes, they're like, you know, he digs it and they go, that's our land. That's our water. And then it finally says in Genesis, it says, then they dug another well and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna and he moved from there, dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth saying, for now, the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. And, and I, I love, you know, that, that basically, um, it was basically like, Hey guys, there's enough to go around here, you know? And when I see that competitive spirit in the church, in the established churches, to me, it's a symptom of what's wrong anyways, with the empire building that went on particularly in the eighties and nineties and the mindset that pastors got into where they're just like, Hey, you know, this is my town. It's like Batman and Gotham. This is my city. Get out, you know? And, but I expected better of church planners. And so, um, for me, I love it when I meet guys who are kind of like Isaac, like, okay, you know, look, I'll, I'll go over here and plant. You can have that then. But, um, but just to see guys where this well's mine. And, but I love how he goes, Hey, look, God's made room for both of us. So we both be fruitful. And when I see that's the attitude that normally persists in church planners, but when I see organizations being run that ought to have that from the top down that don't, that always bothers me. And, you know, funny enough, when you come across that, Pete, you, you know this, that the temptation is for me to get that way. The temptation is for me to react to that and go, yeah. <laughs> when we first, when that first happened, you and I had some ideas that, uh, weren't good. And I have to constantly take those before the Lord because that that's a wound that can rip open again when I see that kind of stuff going on. And and so the Lord has to minister to me in that area. Yeah. You and I actually just spoke about that organization earlier this week. And yeah. I was like, I don't like the way that you've worded this because I, you know, I'm to not get yeah. the details, but I was like, look, they still do good stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and so, and, and I needed the Lord and funny enough, the Lord that week spoke to me and said, Hey, boom, boom, boom. And just forget about them. And, and so it was cool because, you know, I don't, I don't want to even think about what another guy's doing because for me, it's not a competitive thing. By the way, it made me feel good when you told me that Charlie said the same thing to you. I was like, all right. Yeah, I can be a pastor. I'm on, I'm on the same thinking as, as bonsai hair. That's perfect. Yeah. 
But but again, you know, it's it's in all of our hearts, and we you know we have to be careful. Like I need to be walking with God to make sure that my heart does not, you know, naturally. Like I'll be honest, naturally I don't think that way. I never have in ministry. But when I see other guys, then I think, but they shouldn't be. That that was where my heart was at. They shouldn't be having that kind of influence on people if they are boom boom boom. If their heart's black, if it's not right, if they're just out there to take everybody's money. Then it starts, it becomes a justice issue for me. It takes me off. But then the Lord is just like, hey, it was kind of like what he said to Peter on the beach where he goes, well, what about John? And he goes, forget him. <laughs> I have a path marked out for you, my friend. Just just leave them to me. Leave John to me. Let me deal with John. And you just do what I've called you to. And uh, and and so that's, I constantly need those conversations with Jesus, to be honest, because I got bad days. You know, it's kind of like um, Braveheart. Um, the last time something happened, I popped Braveheart on because every time that stuff happens, I always, you know, where someone just comes and they're like, you stay away, you know, you're a competition to us or, you know, whatever. It just disheartens me. It takes the wind out of me. And it always makes me think of when William Wallace is, um, he gets mm. taken down by that jouster or actually he takes the jouster down, I think. And, uh, oh no, the guy on horse is him. That's right. And uh, see, that's why we need to do our, our movie podcast, Pete, so we can set each other straight on this. But he knocks William Wallace off the horse, and he takes his helmet off, and it's um, uh, Robert the Bruce. And William Wallace is just like, he's just done. He's done fighting because he's like, hey, if it's friendly fire, man, then, then you know. Why are we doing all this? Why yeah, like suffering? what's – yeah, what's the point if if you're unhorsing me and you know we're supposed to be fighting together to take this? So that always gets me. And so that was number five. I think we said that after after those four, I really couldn't come up with a fifth. Except um, I don't know. Did you come up with one, Pete? Because we said we might come up with a funny one. Well, I think one of your worst days was the uh, day that you called on the list and you got a hold of me. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was one of the top five mistakes, my friend. <laughs> but uh, you know what would be uh, probably the worst day and worst days? I remember Charles Spurgeon said that if he could go back through the book of his life and he could look and find any day where he did not remember to praise God for all that he had done and, uh, and who he was, he said, I would, I would mark that day on my calendar as a black spot in my life. Mm. And... As I look back on ministry, I would say my worst church planning days were, or, or my worst church planning moments, my top five, would be any day where I tried to do it without him. Mm. Just, and, and that's many days. <clears throat> it's not one day. It's not one moment. I think all of these are accumulation of moments that I've had time and time again, but they're, they're these five categories of, of bad days. Because you're going to have bad days in church planning. In fact, you're going to have bad days in church planning probably more than anywhere else. You're going to have all the normal church politics stuff that you deal with, um, which you know is easier, I think, in some ways to handle in a church plant situation. But um, but you're going to have all those plus all of the unique challenges of church planning itself. And so for me, it would be not relying on the Holy Spirit. Um, doing things in the flesh rather than in the spirit. And that makes all the difference. If the world's falling apart around me, but like David at Ziklag, where it says, you know, all of his people want to stone him to death, 
but it says, but David strengthened himself and the Lord his God. If I do that, I'm cool. You know, like all hell, my church could be imploding, but if I'm walking in the spirit, then it doesn't, it doesn't floor me. I'm like, okay, you know, um, Lord, this is happening. I'm not in denial, but this is happening. Where are you at in this? And I'm walking with him. I'm in fellowship with him. I can take things on the chin. I can, I can get my peace. I can, you know, kind of, uh, understand that maybe this is, um, from the hand of the Lord, like Job, not, not see it as like, this is my enemy. I, I can, I can take it in stride. But days where I'm in the flesh and things happen, I, I don't have anything. You know what I mean? Mm. I have no weapons to fight with. I'm running naked into the uh, into the octagon. You're you're naked podcasting on those days. I am naked. Po- I'm always naked podcasting. I'm naked now. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have the cameras off when we do the Google Hangout. Absolutely. As soon as those cameras go off, it's the clothes come off too. Of course. Of course. Wouldn't have it any other way. Which is not only a bad mental picture for the listeners, but it's even a worse visual picture for the watchers. So be glad this is a podcast is all I'm saying about that. I'm with you on that. I'm with you. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I have any other uh, bad days for you to throw out there to you. And like when we started this, when we were talking before, I'm like, you know what? I, I can't answer any of these questions because, again, I don't see myself as a church planner. I just happen to have been there while you guys were church planting. Yeah. And and yet the, the funny thing is, is you've had great insight through these. You've been with me, I think, through all of these. Um, yeah, you have. You've been with me through all of these situations. And, um, and, and what's been very interesting. I think one of the worst days at the church plant was the day we didn't have breakfast. I think cause the marathon was going on <laughs> and I had to go to McDonald's and get a bunch of egg McMuffins. Cause those are so good. Could be the what best breakfast that's ever been about? invented. That was the best breakfast ever. No offense to anyone who makes breakfast at refuge <laughs> long beach, but Pete turned up with bags of egg McMuffins. 60 egg guys, McMuffins, baby. 60. If you guys have never had a freshly cooked egg, I, I had never had a freshly cooked egg McMuffin until that day. Really? I only had heat lamp egg McMuffins because there was, they were scrumptious. Oh. Man, they were so good. Greatest breakfast that's ever been invented was the egg McMuffin. Pete rolls into McDonald's and goes, Give me 68. <laughs> Well, it was funny because, yeah, it was like the, they had the deal. It was like two for three bucks or something like that. And I'm like, five minutes before they turn off breakfast, and I go, I need 60 of them. <laughs> Were the eight just thrown in for good measure? I don't, I don't think it was 68. It was 60. I ordered 60 oh, of them. And I ate two. I didn't even care. I was like, these are so good. I'm eating two of them. Oh, they were great. I think even oh. church service had started. Remember, and I'm like passing them out in the auditorium. <laughs> That's how we roll. Yeah, because we were going to say one of our, our our top five worst church planning moments was when the pit bull bit our Sunday school. Teacher. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was one. But uh, but she she was a hippie. Luckily, she's an ex Jesus hippie. And she's like, oh no, it's okay. <laughs> so we're like, cool. She, you know, the dog bit a hippie. Wouldn't be the same if the dog bit a yuppie. No. There would have been all kinds of blood tests and, you know, lawsuits going and cops called. But, you know, make sure if you're going to have someone be bit in your church, make sure it's a Jesus hippie. That's all I'm saying. There you go. 
Well, hey, guys, thanks for joining us for uh, my worst uh, top five uh, church planning moments. If you want to contribute to this conversation, why not hop on our Facebook page or interact with our Twitter? Tell us what your worst uh, church planting moment was. And this is going to probably close off this series that we've done, my top five, which we've enjoyed doing. But we'd like to hear from you. Definitely want to hear from... uh, any of you guys as our listeners and interact with your comments, laugh at you, make fun of you, and uh, thank you for listening. So uh, with that, hey, this has been the Church Planter Podcast reminding you, if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music